Welcome to Watershed's December podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove. I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. And for this edition, we're going to take a look back at the year 2017 in film. Uh, and I'm joined in that exercise by two writers, critics and bloggers of film. And that is Tara Judah and Sven Hunt who people may well know from um, Watershed Belt Box Office. Um, if you've come in to see a film at Watershed, um, you, you'll, you'll, I'm sure, have been sold a ticket by Sven. Um, or if you've been to 20th Century Flicks, then I'm sure you'll have been given some advice on what film to watch by Tara. Um, so welcome both. Thank you. As I was going back, um, I thought to myself, oh, there'll probably be a handful of films that, you know, really, really appealed to me. But I drew uh, up a, a, a long short list of 30 films that I really was enthusiastic about or connected with, which said to me, um, God, it's been a strong year. 2017 was that? Yeah, I think it's been an incredibly strong year. I had such trouble narrowing down to five or ten films, actually. There was probably that many just at the very start of the year that I already thought were fantastic, set a really high bar. Um, and overall, I think this has been an as astonishing year for film, mm. far better than 2016. Yeah, I think the same thing. January, yeah, was off to a really good start, and I was like, oh, can this year hold up to that standard? But I think it clearly did mm. uh, the rest of the year. Even, like, in the summer, which is normally sort of like a very slow season yeah. uh, for interesting cinema, I think some quite mm. interesting films came out. And is that, was that across the, you know, from the commercial mainstream to the indie... I think it was more an independent film, to be honest. I mean, yeah. there's probably a couple of mainstream titles on my list, but it's mostly mm -hmm. in the kind of indie films. Um, and also, that I think it was a strong year for repertory films, uh, yeah. for re-releases. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the less said about, like, Marvel and DC, the better. But mm -hmm. I do think, like, the studio films, they were quite strong. And even in the superhero genre, there were some mm -hmm. interesting things happening. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Well, let's um, let's start then by going back to we'll look at we're going to do this seasonally. Mm. Uh, we're going to start with uh, with winter, which was um, we're looking at January to March. And as you said, Sven, um, um, well, both of you are saying it, it started um, straight out the traps in January. I mean, I, I you know Scorsese's Silence. Um, was released, I think, on the first of yeah, on the first, which is uh, quite symbolic, um, like a Scorsese to start the year with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in, in January, February, and March, you, like it's like the UK audiences are always picking the fruits of what was sown in like the festival season in the autumn. So in in January, February, and March, we had the films that were shown in like Toronto, Telluride, yeah. London, Venice, um, and then there were things like yeah, La La Land and Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea, and that's why we have a lot of like Oscars or like quality all compact together in the yeah. first couple of months. And it is the it is the award season, and it was a very strong award season, wasn't it, Tara? Yeah, I mean, I don't pay too much service to um, award seasons. I tend to kind of ignore those because I, I don't really... I don't really think that the best films get to win. I also particularly think that it's disappointing that there's only one category for foreign language films yeah. or films in we, a language could, other than English. We could argue that the best film <laughs> won this year, though. Mm. Absolutely. Moonlight did very well, and that was great, because I think that is a really good film. But for mm. me, there's you know a host of other films that just don't kind of get a look in. Mm. Things like The Fits, you know, there's really great kind of independent films, mm. small films. Um, films like Certain Women, which was a little bit later, by Kelly Reichardt. Um, 
Annabelle is the Love Witch, those sorts of films that definitely mm. are never going to make it into the kind of mainstream mm. award circle. Mm. But those were the ones that were really strong for me right at mm. the outset this year. I think from, from the, I know what you mean about the, the award season that kind of highlights what can often be quite mainstream films. Um, but I felt, I felt this year um, in that, you know, what's become this kind of defined period, the awards corridor for cinemas in, in, in the UK, sort of January to, to March. I mean, if you, th if you think about, you know, Moonlight, Barry Jenkins' Moonlight, La La Land, um, Jackie, uh, Manchester by the Sea, they, they, they were all um, strong independent films. That's true. I mean, I do really like Manchester by the Sea, Kenneth Lonergan's film, but if we're talking about awards, I have to say that I, you know, don't stand behind the support of Casey Affleck winning the Oscar. Mm. So, you know, it's a, a kind of problematic film. And I think the, the thing about that is it's not necessarily to say that Casey Affleck's performance wasn't good, but mm. I don't think we should be championing or mm. giving awards um, in the light of those sorts of allegations. Well, and, and also in the light of, and we'll, I'm sure we'll come on to it later <laughs> on, in light of what has been quite, quite an explosive year, <laughs> year in, in film, um, and we're already seeing the re sort of rewriting, but I think we, you know we'll be revisiting the award seasons uh, in light of all of the you know these allegations, etc. And, and it seems as though the Academy's really taken notice and it is changing yeah. not just in terms of race, mm. but also you know in terms of gender, in terms of taking these. Yeah, issues I think very, also very like seriously. in politics, it's quite, was quite like a turbulent year, both both here in the UK yeah. and in America. And I think in cinema there was either like fight or flight, mm. like films were either like very escapist, like things mm. like. La La Land, or they had like, sort of like a moral and political conscience, mm. um, like Moonlight, but also in more mainstream films such as like Get Out, which is mm. like a more commercial yeah. kind of horror thriller, but with like yeah. this whole political aspect to yeah. it. Well, actually, talking about Get Out because that was released in in, in the, that period. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was a fantastic I mean, that, that film. Was, that was released in that period, and and that's a film that's that's now being talked about uh, that may be getting into the awards season um, and uh, be nominated for an Oscar. It's already been, I think, nominated for Emmys, uh, and th that'll be coming round in the next few months. But you know, here was a film, uh, low budget, uh, made for five, I think, five million. There was a bit of buzz about it in Sundance uh, in in January 2017. And I've just looked at the total box office it's taken is like 260 yeah. million. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's just a fantastic... But it's, a it, it's a film that's using, I think, film. like the, the genre tropes, the horror yeah. genre tropes, but it's really subverting your expectations yeah. of what it can do. You think it's a certain film, but in the end, it's something completely different. Yeah. And it's a very smart commentary. And I think Jordan Peele already showed that in his comedy, and I think mm. he successfully translated what it made his mm. comedy so good to a, a, a mainstream film. So mm. I can't wait to see what he's going to do next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But let's go back to, um, you mentioned La La Land and some of those kind of, you know, high-profile um, films. I thought, um, I mean, I, when I saw La La Land in a festival last year, um, it was just one of the great viewing experiences because I didn't know what to expect. Um, I don't like musicals. Um, it uh, is a very, film for very, people who don't like musicals. Very, very, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is what I got. This is this is what I've subsequently found out. So, Tara, do you love musicals? <laughs> I do like musicals. I do not like La La Land. It is. Right. I mean, you know, I think I hate to say this because obviously you love cinema, but I consider La La Land a film for people who don't really love cinema. Oh, well, I think I think I'm going to take my <laughs> microphone off. I'm, I think I'm going to no platform this. Uh, 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Obviously, that's not entirely true. No, but it's a film that's going through like the highlights of musicals. It takes a little bit of Umbrellas of Sherbourg, a little bit of, of oh, the, a bit of it's that. It's got puts nothing it all, puts it to all do together. with films like Umbrellas of Sherbourg. <laughs> I mean, I think that's that's part of the problem is that it kind of, you know it, it pays lip service to the history of cinema and to the history of musicals, but it doesn't do it in any meaningful way. And you know when you have this sort of musical theatre piece where the singing's bad, the dancing's bad. I mean, that's well, two see, of the I, main I, elements. I wasn't of aware of that. I wasn't aware of that badness. <laughs> I, I was a, I was aware of 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 two people who were trying to be good at what they they wanted to do. One one acting and one you know um, being a jazz musician. Um, and I I just loved the relationship um, between them. And, but also as a, at the level of a performance, when Emma Stone is doing the, the uh, um, auditions and the camera holds on to her, I, I thought it was one of the best performances mm. at that moment when she kind of goes from this very emotional um, audition, somebody comes in the room and she just realises she's not... Yeah, no, I absolutely love La La Land. It's a fantastic sort of acknowledging that sort of mm. performance. Yeah, I love La La Land, but I think there were a lot stronger contenders uh, this year than um, Emma no, Stone. No, no, no com uh, com completely agree. I mean, I completely agree mm. about that. But as I said, um, knowing nothing about the film, I just found it one of the kind of really um, um, enjoyable cinema experiences for me. Mm. But what I found interesting about it is uh, that it's, it kind of became a bit of a phenomenon because Colston Hall here in Bristol put it on with, with live music. Now, usually these are older films, um, you know, like uh, um, Jaws or Indiana Jones, that, th those kind of films. But here's this new film and people are, are paying £40, £50 to see La La Land with a, a live orchestra, which I thought was just quite a uh, sort of phenomenon. The thing that I think is great about La La Land, for all of the negative things I have said about it, and we probably shouldn't talk about this film for too much no, longer, no, we'll, but we'll move the on. positive <laughs> thing is that it is getting people to go to the cinema, yeah. and I always think that's a and great thing. And maybe seek out all the musicals, Exactly. Yeah. So hopefully yeah. they'll kind of dig yeah. into the, you know, Jacques Demy's back catalogue, which is endlessly more entertaining. Well, I'm sure you've been pointing them that way <laughs> in the 20th century flicks. I certainly have. Uh, what about some of the, 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 I mean, Moonlight then, because, the, you know, that was the big thing about the uh, the Oscars was the, the announcement of the winner, and, mm. and, and it was La La Land, which, which you know, I, I completely agree. Moonlight, um, you know, for me, much better film uh, and, and, you know, much more engaging and deeper sort of um, cinema experience. But um, it just seemed sort of ironic that they should announce La La Land but actually Moonlight wins. Yeah, I mean that was that will forever be one of the greatest mess ups. Yeah, these yeah. are just very confusing times. I think that is a metaphor. <laughs> like do we do you want do we want Brexit or do we not? Like yeah, it's like this really big metaphor that was yeah. hanging over the Oscars. Yeah. But but Moonlight um for me I mean I, I mean I'll declare it now, Moonlight is my number one film of the year. Okay. It's absolutely my number one film. I just I just thought it um it, 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 you know, it's a, it's a kind of distillation of, of Barry Jenkins' viewing experience, which is kind of amazing influences that he's got people like Wong Kar Wai and Hu Shui Shuen and you know these kind of and and he's seen all these films and he's made a very a very distinctive film. It's not referential in any way. You wouldn't it's watch also it. It's very accessible. It, yeah, it's very it's very accessible, but it tells a very um, it tells a kind of very new story, as it were, and 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 it's been given a more mainstream sort of profile now because of that. Um, mm. And I just thought, as a film, it, it, it was so fantastic. 
Um, so I was happy that it won. Uh, hey, I think everyone was. I was certainly happy yeah. that it won. I was happy it wasn't yeah. La La Land. And it's, it went on to be um, uh, one of Watershed's most mm. popular films at the which box office. We, we do have a small audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, any other films then from that period? Um, yeah, I mean, there was, uh, at the very beginning of the year, I'm just going to quickly reel through them because there's not enough time to talk about them all, yeah. but A Monster Calls I thought was brilliant. Yeah. Um, Zero Days, Alex Gibney's documentary yeah. was fantastic. I thought Lion was really good. I love Tony Erdman. Um, it's Only the End of the World, the Zevia Dolan film, I thought was just a remarkable piece of character development. I like that a lot more than other people did yeah, as well. It's yeah, it's a really good <laughs> film. Um, I'm going to throw John Wick Chapter 2 in there because I think that Keanu Reeves is a fantastic <laughs> action hero. I really enjoyed that. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, also Graduation and Personal Shopper from the beginning of the year, yeah. great films. Uh, yeah, because in, in that period, you not ha only have the Oscar films, but you also have like all the Cannes films that are coming out, yeah. like Asuka Fahadi's The Salesman, uh, Paul Verhoeven's L, yeah. um, which I'm still a bit um, on the fence about. Um, yeah. Me too. Uh, yeah, um, Oliver Assey's Personal I'm just Shopper. Say, I think the, thing, the thing about L, um, I, I thought it was again, it, it, you know, it, it, if ever you needed it, the demonstration that Isabel Hooper is just one of the greatest actresses. Oh, she is. I, I mean, she was yeah. just phenomenal in a very complex role, very divisive film. Um, a really complex um, role. Yeah, and just she, very she conflicted just on the message of what the director what? is trying to say. Uh, when when, 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 when were you never conflicted yeah. about what Paul Verhoeven <laughs> was Paul up to? <laughs> after all, that's yeah. a whole other show mm. just to talk yeah. about. Yeah, L. yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can't really dive into it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, graduation, as you mentioned, the uh, Christian Mungu film. Yes, that was very good. Yeah. yeah. So moving on uh, to spring, uh, spring, uh, April to June, then. What were some of your highlights in that um, in that period? Um, I think we had some really interesting animation films that period. It was a very strong year for animation in mm. general, especially if if you're not really into like the American Pixar mm. uh, way of filmmaking. Like we had the Red Turtle, the Michael de Kock, the the Wit, the Studio Ghibli mm. co-produced film, and then My Life Is a Courgette mm. uh, by Claude Barra, which I really really mm. liked. It was a very compact film. It's only mm. about 70 minutes, but it's saying a lot more about humanity and being a child than most other animation films mm. do. And Tara, what, did, you like, did you like the animations? Not so much, actually. I didn't like Red Turtle and um, I'm lukewarm on my mm. life as a courgette. Uh, actually, I'm also lukewarm on In This Corner of the World, which is a um, Japanese animation that mm. came out that's uh, around Hiroshima. So the animations actually didn't take me by storm, but I do think that Sven's right that there were strong contenders. For me, it was more my my film of the begin of this section of the year is by far the Leveling. That just mm. is mm -hmm. like one of my best of the year films. Um, Hope Dixon Leach, incredible tense drama that I think is absolutely fantastic, and I can't wait to see more films by her. But also um, Hizukara Koreeda's After the Storm, mm -hmm. which is sort of a weird almost follow-up to Still Walking. Just mm -hmm. beautiful kind of building on those characters, and I adore every world he creates. They are some of my absolute favorite. Um, and also in that section, I Am Not Your Negro, um, Miss Sloan, Berlin Syndrome, and Lady Macbeth were also mm -hmm. highlights for me. And was that the same for you, Sven? Did you like those, those films? Yeah, I like those titles as well. Yeah, I really liked also like yeah Pablo Neruda. Uh, 
Pablo Lorraine's Neruda um, mm. in Girl Garcia by now. I thought that was uh, that was pretty good. And then I also liked uh, The Lost City of Set or Z mm. um, by James Gray, which is a film that's sort of like unabashedly classicist and it's very elegant. Mm. It's sort of like sort of like a modern counterpart for the films mm. of David Lean. That was a film that I really admired. Mm. So Tyler, you mentioned the uh, Hope Dixon Leeches the Leveling, which is a really strong film set round here in Somerset, and the Somerset levels during the floods um, that people may have remembered for a, from a couple of years back. But it, um, with Hope Dixon Leach, um, we're seeing some new talents coming through in British film, and um, another film that was released in that period was Lady Macbeth, William Oldroyd's Lady Macbeth, which again was made as an eye feature, um, but it, you know, it certainly feels more um, controlled and more expensive, actually, than a, than an eye feature budget. But it was it was a really strong film. Yeah, I think both of those are incredible mm. films. Really brilliant showcase of talent. Mm. Um, I, the only criticism that I have of Lady Macbeth is that I kind of wanted it to be a bit more violent, and maybe mm. a bit earlier on. I sort of had expectations mm. of the violence being yeah. a bit higher, but actually. Mm. It totally works, that, that, that one remark aside. Um, it's got beautiful pacing, the performances are great and it looks really lovely. Yeah, for me, for my taste, it was just a bit too sterile and clinical towards, it, towards mm. its characters mm. and I never could really get in, into the film. Well, that's what I enjoyed about it because mm. it's got that sort of formality of it's a BBC, a co of a BBC pacing, costume yeah. drama, but, but, but you know, she's a very modern mm. uh, he heroine. Mm. Oh yeah, I want to be her friend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, when, I was, when I was watching it, um, I, I sat beside somebody um, who, who said at the end, said, well, I wouldn't want to cross her path. <laughs> That's what I mean, I want to be her friend. <laughs> <laughs> but cinema from the Far East, or Asian cinema seems to be strong. You've mentioned uh, a couple of um, titles. I would add um, Koji Fukada's Harmonium, um, which was a very small release, but really tense psychological, um, you know, cuckoo in the nest type type yeah. film. That's um, a weird film. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a very weird <laughs> film. But that's why that's why I loved about it. Yeah. Was it just and it came from a kind of very its pace is so kind of um slow um but you just feel this tension within the family and then you know creeping behind everything. I just thought it was great filmmaking. But um, and then um, the Handmaiden. Yeah, of I feel was... I have to flag up some like South Korean films. Well, yeah, because Sven, you ran you ran the, yeah, the, I ran the a South, South Korean, Korean season yeah. here, and yeah, the Handmaiden was obviously the big one. It was mm. really quite quite successful. Um, and then a much smaller film, but a film that I really liked as well, which the um, Age of Shadows, mm. the Ki Kim Chi Woon uh, cloak and dagger film. I don't know if you. I haven't caught up that. with yeah, it yet, but we actually it. we have yeah. it in the video shop, yeah. so I will. And that got good audiences. I mean, there was a great, um, there's a great appetite, isn't there, for for yeah. Korean cinema yeah, and for yeah, Asian yeah. cinema? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure there will be for the years to come. Yeah, uh, but also the big, the big f um, film was Okja, uh, which of course, controversially, in my eyes, mm. uh, <laughs> goes out via Netflix. Yeah, look, you know, I, I enjoyed the film when I eventually did come around to watching yeah. it, but I can't say that it rates highly on my films of the year or that it's particularly memorable. Mm. It, I, I also don't know what Jake Gyllenhaal thinks he's doing in that movie, but his performance is way over the top <laughs> yeah, and very say. unnecessary. Yeah, it's not really in tune with the rest of the film. I feel like yeah. he was taking his clues from, or his cues from Tilda, Tilda Swinton's kind of excessive, yeah. you know, sort of stylistic performance. Yeah. But actually, the two of them together in that film was just way too much, yeah. and so it was kind of like an entertaining exercise, but yeah. uh, not really a significant film for me at no, all. No, but there, there, there's some like really good like set pieces in it, um, mm. and I think Bong Joon Ho he's really good at that. So like that yeah. chase scene is very good. It um, certainly had a 
great ambition to it. Um, and, and you know, you do feel as, as well that it's, it is being made for a kind of more Western audience. Um, yeah. You know, they're trying to sort of be global, actually, is, is what it's trying to do. And, of course, going through Netflix, a global uh, online platform, just seems a bit yeah, right thing to do. Yeah, before his next film, he's returning to South Korea, and I think I would like, prefer to see yeah. him make South Korean films. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. You mentioned I, I'm Not Your Negro, Ralph Peck's film. That that was an extraordinary documentary. Actually, we, we should talk about documentaries at some point. But um, I, I'm Not Your Negro really tapped into uh, something I felt. Um, obviously coming post, you know, Oscar So White uh, with Moonlight, um, Barry Jenkins and Moonlight winning, you know, does feel um, a lot of um, uh, interest in work being made about black experience and I'm Not Your Negro uh, was, was extraordinary documentary. Well, and also the opportunity to introduce James Baldwin to a new generation, to people mm. who haven't heard of him or perhaps engaged with his mm. writing before or his, you know, work. Um, and, you know, he's a fantastic speaker and writer and mm. he's incredibly eloquent and I yeah I mean I think that film was really great it did it did kind of open that door mm. again and I think you mm. know we definitely are not at the point where we've passed needing to have these conversations mm. we desperately need them and so that, that I really enjoyed that documentary mm. yeah that was the film yeah it was it was sort of like raw and angry and ferocious and it really mm. taps into like the zeitgeist mm. yeah it's funny that you mentioned Barry Jenkins for his next film he's actually adapting James Baldwin mm. if Beale Street's could talk which comes out like next year I mm. think that is like a great match mm. of kindred spirits does anybody want to say anything about Julie Ducour now's raw no, well, look, I enjoyed it. It made me giggle. I think it's an entertaining and funny film, but actually I preferred the short film that she made before mm -hmm. it, which it sort of loosely kind of mm -hmm. is expanded on um, and uses the same protagonist. I think it works better as a short film, actually, mm. than it does as a feature. I think the coming-of-age part is interesting in that film, or, like, sort of, like, being part of, like, the enclave of, of, of students. Mm. The horror part, not so much. I think the metaphors were, like, just done in very broad strokes, but I think it's an interesting, an, an interesting film. She's a filmmaker, um, like to watch in, in the future. Well, I, I thought, you know, in terms of, you know, representation in front and behind the camera, uh, that, that it's really um, great having, you know, female director making a, a, a genre film that, the, um, you know, is, is a horror, as uh, a horror film. There was a piece written about you know women making horror films. I mean, you mentioned the Love Witch. I know it's it's slightly different, but there does seem to be um, something happening with women, you know, sort of working in these kind of what are seen as male-dominated sort, of, sort of genres or spaces. I, I would just like to say briefly about um, Terence Davis and A Quiet Passion, uh, because uh, um, what was what was the one before Quiet Passion? That he did. Sunset Song. Sunset Song, Sunset yeah. Song which I uh, loved. Well, well, you see, a, a lot of a lot of people said that this was Terence Davis coming back on form with Sunset Song. I didn't mm. buy that at all. You're um, wrong. I, I really <laughs> didn't buy it. On this one, Tara, I, I am absolutely <laughs> right. I'll get, I, I, I will nod my, I'll t tip my hat to La La Land, but on Terence Davis and Sunset Song, you're wrong. Um, but Quiet Passion. Now that for me was Terence Davis absolutely back. Uh, on Terence Davis' form. I, I think you, the problem was that the film um, was bought by Metrodome. Metrodome went under, unfortunately, sadly for British independent film, and it finally got released, but it just didn't really have the energy behind it. But I, I just felt it was, he, his filmmaking was just sublime. And the, the story of Emily Dickinson, again, another character up there with Lady Macbeth, actually, in a way, Cool. Yeah, I'd be her friend too. I mean, I have mm -hmm. to say, I did really love A Quiet Passion. I think it's yeah. a great film. 
I love that he uses her poetry and her words, which so many people who make biopics about mm. writers just fail to do. And it's sort of like you've got this wealth of talent and material. So to use it cleverly in the film is a real great relief, actually, to watch a film made like that. But I don't think he's ever made a bad film. Mm. Sunset Song is equally as good, if not perhaps maybe even a little bit better. But yeah, quite passion, absolutely great. Mm. Yeah, I, I didn't see a quite passion, but what you're saying about the poetry, the same can be said actually for like the Neruda film, which is also using sort of like his poetry as a jumping off point. Moving on, um, jo um, into the summer now. Um, big tent pole releases traditionally um, at that time of year. But so July to September, yeah, so, okay, I'm going to say I only really liked very few films at this time of year. Mm. Um, so The Untamed, which is just absolutely bonkers by the filmmaker that did Healy uh, a few years before, uh, really terrifying, Mexican. But kind of wonderful mm. film about mm. this weird tentacled sex beast. Um, I also really enjoyed uh, another horror film, It Comes at Night, with Joel Edgerton, really kind of mm. lo-fi, low-budget type thing, um, and Your Name animation, which was just fantastic. Um, but there were lots of films at this time of year I really didn't enjoy. I thought that, like, Dunkirk was just absolutely ridiculous. That was song to song with Terrence Malick. He's just going on a continual downhill spiral as far as I'm concerned, and this last one is almost unwatchable. Um, and I, I thought, I know, Mark, you really like this film, but I thought A Ghost Story was just absolutely ridiculously bad. <laughs> I, yeah, A Ghost Story would be is one of, one of in my top five uh, as well. Um, uh, I, it's it's just one of those experiences when you're in the, 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 the cinema can do, and it's it's when it, and you just think, is this really happening? And is this? And am I going to go with this? Which of course is Casey Affleck wearing a bed sheet wandering through the film. Um, He'll probably works. win an Oscar for but, that but, performance well, too. And, and justifiably <laughs> so. Rolled. Many people have said he should be doing the rest of his performances in a similar way. <laughs> but but Sven, um, when when you get that transition from. Um, dead character to ghost. Uh, for me, it was just one of these kind of great. Is this, is this going to be? Is this? Is it going to pull it off? And, and it is, you, you, I think you go with that or not. Like, but I think what I like the most about it, it starts as a small story, but yeah. then it expands and it becomes this rumination on like memory and, yeah. and, and loss. And especially in the second half, yeah. it really worked for me. Yeah. In a way, it, it, it does what Darren Aronofsky's mother fails to do. Mm. Um, and, and by and, and mother, uh, which I didn't is, get to see that. Is, which is to, which is to start off with a very small, tight um, little set of characters and story, but actually sort of translate that into kind of quite you know kind of epic themes. But yeah, the of, problem with, with mother is that the metaphors are just a bit on the nose. But I, yes, I, too. I, I like mother because it's so out there and so so bonkers, and that it could have been made within like the mainstream cinema, although it lost a lot of money. Well, I have heard. I haven't seen it yet. I'm looking forward to it, but I have heard that it's basically like cinema does sim symbolism. Yes, it's, a, it's also a film of two halves. Where the first half, I think, is really um, uh, great and engaging. But when it when he tries to, and this is almost my problem with Alan Oscar, is when he tries to take on, you know, when he he wants to take on these big themes, his films just collapse. The one thing I will say about the summer that was really great for me was actually re-releases. I saw some really mm. good repertory cinema um, that I'd like to mention at that time of year. So, and worth saying that I am involved with Cinema Rediscovered, where some of these things were yeah. shown. Um, so, Lizzie Borden's Born in Flames back on the big screen. Julie Dash's Daughter of the Dust was great to see back on the big screen. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was I had never seen that before, mm. and that was just like astonishing. Mm. Plus, also it had 
you know, the framing of Karen Alexander um, and Roger talking about the film, which was just made it infinitely richer. Um, but also, for me, probably one of my favourite films of the year, Dawson City Frozen Time from Bill Morrison, mm. which, um, you know, is just everything about the history of cinema and the history of film, the actual physical medium. Yeah. The love of that all rolled into one, using the medium to tell its own story. It's almost yeah. like someone the, the, made a film specifically for me. It's everything <laughs> I love. And that, this was footage that was found in the permafrost in... Um, in Dawson City. In I mean, Dawson City. The yeah. amazing, remar most remarkable thing about it is that, you know, you see the wealth of material in this film and actually they did the find in 1978, 79, yeah. so it was quite a long time ago. And Bill Morrison's only really looked through maybe 230 of the reels. There's like mm. 500 and something reels in the archive. So the, the wealth of material that we've not yet had discovered or mm. discovered but not mm. seen, um, you know, also just the kind of impact of how much and how rich that history is. It's a, it's, a, it's a reminder that there was so much film that was destroyed, lost mm. from the silent era. Yeah, they just threw most of it in the Yukon River and just kind of yeah. junked it. Yeah. Um, but also Howard's End, I had never seen that before yeah. and, uh, you know, I did not know that was going to blow me away. And, and interesting that Kenneth Lonergan's doing the... Um, he's just doing the TV adaptation yeah. at the moment, which is, is on it, BBC. Is already out now, yeah. Yeah, it's on BBC at the, mm. uh, at the moment. Um, it's interesting that he's gone for that uh, that subject matter. Can we let Dunkirk go past with um, just simply being called ridiculous? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. The thing is, it's cinema completely stripped down. It's it's just an attack attack on the senses, and I mean that in the best way possible. I mm. think it's very visceral and very immersive. But the, the, if if you think of cinema as something that really cares about, like. Um, characters or gives characters stories. Dunkirk is not that film. It is the opposite. Yeah. But I, I really, really it, enjoy it. It is a kind of virtuoso display of technique. But if um, you take it out of the cinema, it will lose all yes. its grandeur. Yeah, so it will. I just, I just found, I found the the undertow of patriotism just too too much, especially in, as you say, these these turbulent times. The way it used Elgar's Nimrod when it became sort of so obvious at the end, it felt to me like it was just falling on easy patriotism. Yeah, so when I you get Kenneth Branagh, the shot of Kenneth Branagh standing mm. on the, the burning mm. deck type thing. And and also and also the the um when you hear when he says um you hear that sound, that's a Rolls Royce engine. But but yeah, you can't open the window of this great uh, machine. But but that's a narrative he's using it then as a narrative device. And I, that just kind of threw me out of the mm. film. At that point, yeah, I thought Nolan was much clev more clever as a filmmaker than to do to use such a sort of like lazy device, yeah. which is otherwise like a great film. Yeah, um, and, and Catherine Bigelow's uh, Detroit was released um, in September. Yeah, I saw that, and it's a film that is once again also really, really angry. But I don't really know if this anger really goes goes somewhere. I think it could have been sharper in its observations, and I think. Mm. As a film, for me, it felt a little bit like a missed, missed opportunity. Mm. Um, but I think she is an interesting filmmaker, and I think the, how, how she uses the action mm. is quite interesting. Mm. It, it, it's interesting to think about it in relation to Get Out, which, in a genre way, sort of exposes mm. um, sort of you know racism, mm. um, and particularly within a kind of liberal um, middle class. And I think Detroit. Kind of wants to do that as well, but in a, a but in a different way. I think it's a bit of a failed exercise, but I I, I thought it was great uh, filmmaking. 
So, um, on to uh, October to December then, final part of the year. What were the what were your highlights, some of your highlights from this? My highlights were definitely the Florida Project, uh, yep. No Stone Unturned, which I think is yet to be released, but and another Alex Gibney documentary, two from him in a year, what a treat. Um, I Am Not a Witch, which I thought was great, and also, I actually really liked, I saw this at Rotterdam Film Festival earlier in the year, but Manifesto, uh, which is the kind of Kate Blanchett installation yes. piece that was originally 13 screens, yeah. but is all condensed into a feature film. It's a little bit crazy, it kind of has, it suffers a, l a little bit from the problem of being like certified copy and that instead of Juliet Binoche, it's Kate Blanchett shouting at you for two hours. But I think if you can take that, actually, it's quite an interesting Can't film. wait to see that. <laughs> love to see a shouting Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Sven, what about you for? Yeah, I think, yeah, some of the titles that Tara mentioned, like mm. especially I'm Not a Witch, mm. which I really like because it's such a very weird and singular mm. and bold film, I think, as a, f as a film debut. Um, I also want to add, yeah, I'm part of that chorus who sings the praises for Call Me By Your Name, the Luca Guadagnino mm. um, gay romance set in Italy. Mm. I think that is just very, a, a gorgeous, gorgeous it's film. Yeah, it's a really beautiful um, film and it's on, it's on at the moment, actually. It's just I haven't released. seen it yet, but yeah, I'm sure if... Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I suspect it might be on my list if I had seen it yeah. before you, today. You, you'll, you'll get some um, some more opportunities, but everybody who I've come across who's seen it has, has said has responded in the same way. But yet, it's not been a huge hit at the box office. No, I'm it's quite, really quite surprised. surprising. It's one of the films like all the critics are raving about yeah. it, but like the audience seems a bit more. And the Florida, Florida project is still is still running. Uh, on on I, I'm not a witch. I, another. Um, British director, I know um, she's Zambian born, but uh, brought up and based in Cardiff, Nyong'o Rione, um, who made I'm Not a Witch. And, I, and another part of what seems to be kind of new wave of British filmmaking talent. Yeah, which is wonderful to see, I think, you know, and many of whom are female. You know, one of the much anticipated releases um, was the Blade Runner 2049, the revisiting of the, Blade, um, the original uh, Blade Runner um, by Denis Villeneuve. Sven, was that, did you approve? Yeah, um, I like it. I liked it, but not as much as many other people did. But I think it, it expands on the original in very interesting ways. It's not just mm. a lazy rehash. I think it's introducing new interesting ideas. Although it, sometimes it does feel a little bit like philosophy, philosophy for dummies, like just sort of, sort of like one of those back pocket books. Um, but I think, yeah, Villeneuve, he's like a very interesting filmmaker. In, in the, the film had a very interesting visual, visual style to it. Um, I, I like, I like the pacing. I like the fact that it's not a rushed blockbuster, but it's a film that dares to ask questions, mm. although they're not as deep as they could have been. Mm. Yeah, I don't think the philosophical stuff is deep at all. Uh, I think this is a really, really basic film. Um, and probably some of the worst comments I could say about a film is that after I saw it in the cinema, I barely give it another thought. Mm. I thought it was so uninteresting. Um, yes, it's a very pretty orange colour. It's nice to look at for a couple of hours. I was very pleased to see a full cinema when I went to go see mm. it. That always makes me happy. But I think this is a very, very plain film. And I don't think it has much depth at all. Mm. I, I also think there's kind of like, you know, I can't really be bothered to kind of discuss them because I don't think it's interesting enough, but the representation is a bit naff. Some of the gender stuff is, like, uninteresting. I don't think the argument that it's set in the future means that, like, we don't have 
progressive gender politics in the future, so it's an accurate description of that, holds weight, actually, because in order for it to do that, it would need to have critical distance. The film has no critical distance whatsoever, and I think that's honestly because Villeneuve doesn't know how to do it. Uh, his first film, On Sondes, I thought was magnificent, and ever since then, it's just been a downhill slide. Mm. So you didn't like it? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was very underwhelmed by it. I think it was. I think it it it, it, it delivered for those Blade Runner fans, uh, you know, fans who really sort of love Blade Runner. And there's lots of reasons to love Blade Runner, and I I think it did. Um, it, it played to that audience really well, and that audience all turned out, and actually in its opening weekend, uh, and and it really sort of disappeared um, from the sort of cinema radar. Um, you, you know, yeah, there, there weren't a huge amount of people coming to see it afterwards. No, so it kind, kind of, of bombed as well yeah. in, in, in other yeah. countries as well. So now, having cast our eye over um, the year, and there, there are films that we, we have missed. We haven't talked about Aki Kurismaki's uh, The Other Side of Hope, which was um, I thought was a really strong film in the year, and great to see him back. Um, but let's have our, our top five then of the year. Yeah, my, drum, drum roll number one. Okay, number five is a film that we haven't really mentioned uh, yet. That's a Brazilian film by um, Kleber Mendoza Filho. That's uh, Aquarius with a very ferocious uh, Sonia Braga. Mm. It's sort of like a portrait of this lady um, fighting the gentrification around her. Um, number four is Sean Baker's The Florida Project, um, which is just a celebration of like the human human spirit against all odds. Um, a Ghost Story is my number three, <laughs> uh, A Meditation on Grief and Loss. Uh, Call Me By Your Name by Luca Guadagnino is my number two. And my number one is yeah, Park Chan-wook's uh, The Handmaiden. That's my number one uh, of the year. Great. Okay, so number five uh, for me, uh, Annabella's The Love Witch, wonderful satire of uh, hi history of filmmaking and just the most fiercely feminist film, joy to watch. Number four, The Fits, which as Anna Rose, Rose Holmer's uh, sh very short film starring Royalty Hightower, who has got to be one of the best actresses yeah. I have ever seen. Yeah. That child is amazing and I cannot wait to see her in more film. Um, number three, Kelly Reichardt's Certain Women, this, this is one of those films that probably will be in my top films mm. for eternity. I will, will forever return to the, the slowness and the, the kind of space she gives her characters. Number two, Hope Dixon Leach's The Leveling. I, chills, absolute chills. Mm -hmm. I think this woman is incredibly talented. And the first for me this year um, of, of everything that had a cinema release is Dawson City Frozen Time for my love of cinema mm -hmm. and its discovery. So number five for me um, is the... Finished film, The Happiest Day in the Life of Ollie Mackey, uh, which I um, just thought was a fantastic sensibility in the film about a relationship uh, between a boxer who's got to go out and win the boxing match based on a true story. Um, but he falls in, he falls in love uh, and he's, his trainer says to him, well, what do you mean you've fallen in love? Um, and it's, it's, it, it, there's a kind of timelessness to it um, that is wonderful. Uh, number four is uh, love st another love story, actually, set, on, set in, I think they may well all be love stories, um, it is uh, On Body and Soul, um, the Hungarian film set in um, an abattoir, uh, one of the most romantic uh, settings we could possibly think of, <laughs> where um, a couple realise they, they meet each other in their dreams. 
Number three is um, Close Your Ears, Tara, is uh, Ghost Story. <laughs> it's with you two. Best, best, <laughs> acting, best acting with the bed sheet goes to Ghost Story. Um, number two is Jackie, Pablo Lorraine's Jackie, uh, which I thought was phenomenal. And you know about the um, assassination of John F. Kennedy. You've seen all the footage. You've heard all the conspiracy. And here's a story, the story of the woman that was um, closest to him. And you really get a sense of the disorientation, um, the, the emotions, also set within this kind of political uh, es establishment. And, of course, another fantastic score by Mika Levy. Um, in that film. And then my number one, as I've, I've declared earlier on, um, is undoubtedly Barry Jenkins' uh, Moonlight. So hopefully um, you'll have seen uh, some of these films. If you've not, there's a great video shop in Bristol called 20th Century Flicks that you can catch up on them. Um, there's still some films um, in, in December to catch up on as well. Prince of Nothingwood, I would um, say, is a film that you should see. Uh, um, America's got Hollywood, India's got Bollywood, and Afghanistan's got nothing wood. Um, <laughs> and this this character um, just makes these uh, um, incredible sort of B-movie exploitation movies against all the odds. Again, it's another documentary that kind of shines a light on um, another part of the world and on, on filmmaking. And then The Disaster Artist is I coming I can't wait up. to see this. Um, Blade of the Immortal, Takashi Miki. Blade film. of the Immortal, Takashi Miki, so. yeah. yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's a new year of which um, we shall be getting back together to discuss that. So thank you very much for just now, Tara and Sven. Thanks for having me. Thank you.